0: Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and this is The Mosaic Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us today, and if you're one of our regular listeners, we love the fact that you journey with us, and we pray that every single message inspires you and helps you become the person that God created you to be. Every single week, we send a new message across the world, and everything we do here at Mosaic is made available to everyone in the world for absolutely free. The reason we can do that is that we have incredible people who give generously and sacrificially to make this possible. And I want to invite you to join us. If you're already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you've not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that now. Go to mosaic.org give and give a one-time gift or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Mosaic. And if you're one of those individuals who God has blessed in an amazing way financially, I want to invite you to become one of our partners here at Mosaic. What's really beautiful about Mosaic is that our biggest givers are families who do not live here in Los Angeles, but they are so committed to the message of Jesus going to the world that they support the work here from Los Angeles to the ends of the earth. And so I wanna invite you again, go to mosaic.org give, become a part of our support system, become one of our partners, and more than anything else, I want you to listen to the message, allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. So I know we've had a great time celebrating and enjoying tonight. And, but in, in some ways tonight, and I, I want to like go to a little bit of a heavier place, if I can. This past week, Robin Williams took his life. And I know it seems strange, but it had, and it had an effect on me, as it has on so many different people. And maybe for me, it's because I was around 20 years old when I first saw Mork and Mindy, and and uh, Robin Williams came exploding on the scene, and he played so many characters that have inspired me and moved me from his role in the Dead Poets Society, then inspired me to pursue a life that is greater than I could ever hope or imagine and to stand defiantly against conformity and standardization. And, and there's just no way that the character he played in that film didn't have an effect on my life. E- even when he starred in Hook, it had an effect on me. And I realized I'm, I'm that guy. I'm Peter Pan. I'm, I'm the guy who just can never shake Neverland and who never grew up if growing up means leaving your imagination behind. I actually had a deep sense of melancholy after that film. And over and over again, he would surprise me with a narrative that had an effect on me. And so I, I took a moment and just wrote some thoughts on Instagram, I posted a photograph of him that I felt was warm and beautiful and, and I wrote these words, and then I was surprised with the response that I received. No photograph of me has ever gotten this many likes. And uh, <laughs> so I was a little disturbed by that. I, I thought, what's the deal? You know. And then I remembered, oh, that's right, I'm not Robin Williams. And, um, and I just want to read you what I wrote, and then I want to talk to you for a few moments from the Scriptures. I, I had the beautiful privilege of running into Robin Williams years ago. He was gracious and kind and warm and deeply human. He was the funniest person I have ever encountered in my life. He was funnier in a spontaneous 10 minutes on the way to the men's room than most are on stage delivering their best material. What struck me most was how generous he was with his time and how he genuinely enjoyed bringing people happiness. If you can love a person you don't know, I have always loved Robin Williams. He made my life better. He made me better. His roles inspired me and elevated me. How tragic that a person would choose to end a life that all the rest of us treasured as a gift. Robin, if you could have only known how you made us feel, how you made us better, how your laughter healed us, you are a great loss to us. Everyone should know they matter more than they know. Everyone should know that life is worth the struggle. Everyone should have someone to remind them how much we need them here with us. Too many beautiful people have come to tragic endings. May every space where humans dwell Be drenched in hope and love. Captain, my captain. And maybe it affected me because I've had too many people I love choose to end their lives. Too many people that I have given space in my heart, whose lives came to a tragic and early end, needlessly, senselessly, tragically. And I find that many times in the space of faith, we have too few conversations about the struggle that all too many of us have with a sense of emptiness that can be described as despair, or can many times clinically be described as depression. And unfortunately, the language sometimes is almost magical. You know, just just read the Bible, you'll be fine. Right? You know, just just pray more, you'll be fine. Just But your problem is you don't have enough faith. And and then you'll get over that. And we act as if the people in the Scriptures were absolved from this struggle, but they were not. In fact, if you read the Scriptures carefully, you, you will find... That one of the common characteristics of those men and women that God used in such beautiful ways were that they had incredibly elevated moments of heroism and incredibly dark moments of despair. And it wasn't that one character had one story and another a different. They all seemed to have the spectrum of exhilaration and depression. And I, I find that many times we misunderstand our own spiritual journey and our own spiritual vitality when we have moments of incredible discouragement. Have you ever thought that if you just get this thing right, you would never be discouraged again? You know, if you could just get your relationship with Jesus right, you would never be depressed again. You'd never be down again. And in fact, you guys know, like, I never get down, right? You know, and... Uh, I mean, it, it, that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Because you really shouldn't, like, follow me and follow my leadership or listen to what I have to say if I ever get discouraged, right? And, and you know, Kim and I were having a conversation tonight over coffee about whose genetic code brought the melancholy into our family. And uh, <laughs> I said, I think it's you, honey. And because I'm not melancholy, I'm just reflective. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and... For long periods of time, and uh, <laughs> deeply thoughtful and uh, with an element of disappointment with life. That, that, that's, that's why this passage of Scripture has meant so much to me over the years. It's in First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 19. I want you to listen to the story that you probably know, and I want you to hear it tonight as some light and insight to those moments where maybe you feel discouraged or depressed or filled with despair, or maybe those moments that convince you that the next moment can't be better. Because really, you only come to the end of yourself when you are convinced that tomorrow cannot be better than today that there isn't a moment waiting for you more beautiful than the tragedy that fills this moment. In the strangest of ways, as long as you believe in a beautiful future, you can always overcome the darkest moments. Listen to this moment. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Those of you who don't know the context in the scriptures, Elijah was this prophet of God, and he was pretty, like, awesome, you know, dope. I mean, he was like, you know, he was the prophet of his time. And they had this huge, like, moment of confrontation where Elijah said to these 900 plus prophets of false gods, let's pray to heaven ever God sends fire from heaven to consume their altar. That's the God everybody should worship. And all the people said, that's a great idea. That's one way to really know who God is. And they built these two altars, and all the prophets of Baal, and, and Beel, like they, they, they built this altar, and they prayed and prayed and prayed, and they slashed their bodies and were bleeding and, and cutting themselves because they had this, this destructive, malevolent view of their gods. And, and, of course, their gods never answered because, well, their gods did not exist. And, and, and so it creates a bad day. And then Elijah kind of mocked them. He was sort of like the Old Testament version of, like, Howard Stern. You know, he, he was like, hey, where's your God? He doesn't seem to be responding. Hmm, maybe he's, like, indisposed. And so Elijah's, like, eluding uh, that their gods may have, like, diarrhea. And they're just, like, indisposed in, the like, the John, so they can't help. And, and, uh, and finally, when they're just bleeding to death, he, it's his turn. That he has them, like, cover the altars with water. He prays and says, basically, in a prayer, God... I'm not really praying for me or for you. I'm just praying for them. It's time. Boom. God sends fire from heaven, consumes all the altars, and everybody says, yeah, we're going to worship your God, and uh, we think he's the better choice, and, and Elijah has his best moment in life, stands against overwhelming odds, has the biggest success in his entire Story, and then it goes into this. Now Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Now you think that Elijah just standing against like a thousand to one odds, watching God send fire from heaven would go (laughs) What are you to me, woman? Right? You talking to me? Right? But he doesn't. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Because that's really consistent to what just happened in his life. When he came Then when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. And I want you to realize that Elijah is not the only person who was a prophet of God, who struggled with thoughts of suicide. He was not the only one. Jonah wanted to die. In fact, you find in the scriptures that there are those individuals who come to these moments in life, they go, God, just kill me. And Elijah says, God, I just want to die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and, and there by his head, there was some bread baked over the hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and then he laid again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for your journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached the mountain of God. When he came to the cave and spent the night, and the, Lord, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah. And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. In other words, have you been paying attention, God? My life is a mess. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, have torn down your altars, and put the prophets to death with the sword, because you weren't listening before, clearly. So I'm telling you again. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God, do you have, like, Alzheimer's? Because I just told you this, and now you're asking me what I'm doing here. This is what I'm doing here. My life is a disaster. You're not helping out. I'm running for my life. I'd like to die. Can you help? But they want to kill me, so I have a dilemma. I don't really want them to kill me. I just want to die. Okay. Then the Lord said to him, "Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram, anoint also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, uh, Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shamphat, from Abel Meholah. Yeah, that guy, to succeed you as prophet." Jehu will put to death all who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes from the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Zapat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, the reason I want to, like, highlight this particular moment in Elijah's life is because this was the lowest point in his life, a moment where he felt utter despair and hopelessness. And and I just think it's an important reminder that someone that we admire, someone that in the Scriptures stands as an example of heroism and spirituality and power and anointing from God— that he came to the end of himself and ran for his life and hid under a broom tree saying, God, just end it all. And I think sometimes we, we have almost a magical understanding of our spiritual journey as if you're never supposed to have bad days. You're never supposed to have bad moments. That there are never supposed to be these moments where even you may be tormented And find yourself torn to pieces inside of your soul. And I want to just highlight a few things from this passage of Scripture. I want you to realize that success does not immune you from depression. And I think this is where so many people are so confused. Because could you really have, from an outside vantage point, a more successful life than Robin Williams? I mean, could you really have a more successful life than Philip Seymour Hoffman? And when you look back and realize like that, that that these individuals have the lives that so many of you in this room are trying to step into. And I want you to know tonight, success will not immune you from depression. And you may be here thinking, well, I'm only depressed because I'm not successful yet. Like I'm depressed, but if you had my life, you'd be depressed. And you may think that you're depressed and feeling down and and just drowning in melancholy because you don't have the life you want. But I want you to know that if you don't learn how to deal with that now, before you have success, you will not have the tools to deal with it when you have success. Because Elijah was at the pinnacle of his success. If he were just looking for environmental causes for his depression, there wouldn't be any. Because it's an internal struggle. And because it's an internal struggle. Because it it comes from the voices within, not from the voices from the outside. Elijah's struggle was not based on what Jezebel said to him but what Jezebel's voice echoed that was already inside of him. And we'll get there in a moment. So I want to give us some steps toward health. But I want to just begin by reminding you that success will not immune you from depression. I I, I cannot understand that fully. I've lived a fairly successful life. I've seen so many things happen in my life that I've prayed for, I've dreamed for, I've aspired toward, I've worked for in my life. And I would think that I would never have a bad day ever again. And I can tell you, last year, Kim would ask me, how are you doing? And I could say, today was like the best day of my life and it was the worst day of my life. It was both at the same time. See, I I wasn't on a roller coaster, good day, bad day, good day, bad day. I was being torn by two internal narratives. One that my life is awesome and one that my life was miserable. And each day I had to decide which voice I would give power and authority in my life. But success will not immune you from depression. It will not immune you from a sense that you are empty and that your life is meaningless and that there's no reason to struggle on. But I also want you to see that that the emptiness is not the absence of God. See, I, I think sometimes we think, oh, God's just not with me anymore. That's why I'm down. God's not with me anymore. That's why I'm depressed. God's not with me anymore. That's why I feel this huge void in my life. But God was with Elijah. God had not left Elijah. In fact, what I love about this passage is Elijah's running for his life and God's like running with him it's the middle of the wilderness hiding under a boom tree, just kill me like nah i think i'll just sort of like feed you all right and in fact elijah since you want to run let's just keep running for 40 more days until you're ready to have a conversation that'll make you better right and what i what i love about this is that elijah's having his worst moment and god's right there with him don't let anybody tell you that just because you, you feel depressed or because you feel down or because something is off, that you're distant from God. Don't believe that for a moment. See, that, 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 that sense of depression isn't proof that God is distant, it's just proof that you're human and broken. And, and sometimes we act like our emotional well-being is different than, is less significant than our physical well-being. If you walked on a landmine and lost a leg and came to Jesus, you would live your life living for Jesus with one leg. No one would go, where's the leg? You'd go. What do, you, what do you mean? Well, you didn't, I thought you were sincere. I mean, you said you gave your life to Jesus. Well, I, I think I did. Yeah, well, then where's the leg, man? Because if you really like, gave your life to Jesus, man, the leg should just come right back. Go, yeah, but, you know, I stepped on a landmine. Yeah, I know, but now you have Jesus, right? Because Jesus makes all things new. Where's the new leg? We would never do that, right? You'd probably like usher the person out who's going around going, where's the leg? (laughs) Right? I mean, you kind of say, hey, look, you know, don't come back. (laughs) Right? But that's the way we treat people who have been wounded in their souls. Where things happened to them early on and it got deep and it shattered them. And they struggled with a sense of emptiness and disconnection and depression and despair. And there's some of you, 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 you no one can see it, but you are psychologically and emotionally walking through life with a broken leg. And then when you come to Jesus, everybody says, Oh, yeah, well, you're fine now, run. And, and sometimes what you have to realize is that what it took years and years and years to break that, that God doesn't always, like, heal it in a second. The healing has begun. But you're not a piece of machinery. You are a human being. And God is incredibly patient and kind and tender and will take you through the process of finding that healing. But the brokenness is not evidence that you are insincere. The brokenness is not evidence that God is not near. The brokenness should simply remind you how desperate you need to keep close to God because He's the one who picks you up. And then I also want you to see with me, and I don't usually actually do notes, but tonight I have notes because I, I, I want to walk you through this. I think it's important. Once don't you realize that lows almost always come out and after the highs? That's why they're called lows. You know, part of the dilemma sometimes in our faith is that our faith almost becomes like um, a replacement for an addictive personality. You, you don't know what I'm talking about. See, if you have an addictive personality, you, you know what I'm talking about. Because like, I'm all about Jesus. Oh, man, I feel terrible today. All right, Jesus is awesome. Where is he? And you're here and you're like, oh, Jesusy. But tomorrow you're gonna be a mess. You're going, God, where are you? But I thought last night you are like, oh, God is everywhere. And you just need to realize it's not God who's inconsistent. You just have an addictive personality. And you use God as your addiction. And you think that when you have this emotional high, that's when you're really spiritually mature. And actually, if you're depending on the spiritual high, you're spiritually immature. Wow. That, man, I love being high. <laughs> I, I, let's not quote that out of context. <laughs> you know, I love those highs. Don't you love those highs? And I love those moments where I just feel so alive and I just, man, I'm just excited about life and God is awesome and the world is awesome and everything's just awesome. And, but if I think that's actually proof of my relationship with God, I'm going to live my life as the slave to my emotions rather than the master of them. And I want you to see that right after Elijah has his highest moment, he was most vulnerable for his lowest moment. Have you ever noticed that after you have a huge win, that's when you're most susceptible to feeling a sense of despair and depression? And by the way, and I don't always like use this language because I think it's a, it's an easy cop-out for people, but if you wanna understand spiritual warfare, after your greatest successes, that's where you're gonna have the most vulnerable moments for spiritual attack in your life, where you'll have voices in your head tell you, You're nothing. You don't matter. When you have the love and affection and worship that comes with fame, the moment where you're alone again, it is a thundering silence and emptiness. And you need to be careful that your highs do not create for you a huge vulnerability in your lows. Elijah dropped to the bottom after he soared to the top. And, and then I, I want you to realize that when you feel that huge sense that life is overwhelming, and it's not going to get better, that it's not as bad as it seems. I know it's hard to tell anyone when it, it seems bad that it's not as bad as it seems. So I just want to tell you right now, if you're doing okay, when you get there, it's not as bad as it seems, okay? Because maybe you can hear me right now. I love how Elijah, God's, God's like, Elijah! Where are you? Why are you here? Elijah takes the question as if it's not rhetorical. It's like, you don't know? Jezebel's coming after me and everything's going wrong and the world is upside down and and I'm gonna die and they're gonna kill me so I wanna die so they can't kill me. And that makes sense to me. So I'm on the run. (laughs) He actually thinks God needs an update. And an explanation, because God, if you don't understand why I am the way I am, you don't really understand what's going on here. And God's actually saying, why didn't you let yourself get here? Really? You think life should take you here? It's not as bad as it seems. He's got one woman telling him, I'm coming after you. I'm going to kill you. I I think that God can handle that. And let me. And what happens when you start moving toward despair and depression? You end up having a view that your crisis is pervasive and permanent. You hear a voice that tells you it's always going to be this bad, it's never going to get better, you're never going to get better. So you miles to go ahead and just end it. You cannot let the voices that tell you that this moment, this worst moment, is the defining moment of your future. And that's why it's so critical to know, just to say it right now, it's not as bad as I think. Just say that. It's not as bad as I think. You're going to need that for later, okay? And I don't know how, but when I was a kid, before I, actually, I ever found Christ in my life, uh, when I would mess up really bad, I would tell myself this. I mean, I'd be 16 years old, and I'd go, in 20 years, this won't matter. I don't know where I got that. but It's the only way I could survive a lot of things. You you, you know, like when you had like the the bad moment in life and you just feel overwhelmed in high school, like, oh man, I just, my life's over. I'm never going to get past. I just tell myself in 20 years, this isn't going to matter. Some of those things actually did matter in 20 years, but, 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 (laughs) you know, but most of them did not. And I just, it was just be my way of saying to myself, it's not as bad as it seems. And that's why getting other people in your life to give you perspective is so important. Because when, when you can't see your way through it, that's why it's good to have good friends that go, oh, no, there's so many good things here. When you're like, nothing in my life is working. You know what you don't want to hear? Someone tell you, oh, but this is working. You don't understand. See, you don't actually want to hear someone tell you how good your life is because you don't want to know. You don't want someone who loves you telling you everything that you should actually be grateful for and thankful for and celebrated because you don't wanna see them. What you need to realize is that when you're in that moment of despair, it's not as bad as you think because you're making yourself think it's that bad because you're blinding yourself to all the reasons to have hope, to get up. And then just one last thing, I love how Elijah says to God, I'm the only one left. I don't know if you picked that up. He said it several times. I'm the only one left. And the guy goes, well, no, you're not really the only one left. Because like, there's 7,000 other people just like you that never bowed their knee to the false gods and never kissed them. They stood against evil. So, Elijah, you may think you're the only one, but you're not even one in 10 or one in hundred. You're in one in 7,000. You're not the only one. In fact, what I want you to do is why don't you go back and I want you to put the mantle on Elisha? Because not only are you not the only one left, I got someone ready to take over. You're not alone when you feel alone. So what ends up happening is you have this incredible sense of loneliness. You ever, you ever have that? I, I'll tell you just from my own um, personal journey. There are times where I can't even explain it. I have this overwhelming sense of aloneness. And I don't know if I can even put into words what I feel. I'll just feel it overtake me. And I used to not be able to identify it, but I can identify it now. It's what I felt all my life up to about the age of 20. It's what I felt when I was five, It's what I felt when I was 10. It's what I felt when I was 15. It's what I felt when I didn't want to live as a kid. It's what I felt when I felt no one loved me in the world. It's what I felt when I felt my life was a tragedy. When I felt I was an accident. It's what I felt when I didn't feel that I mattered. And... I would. You would think that after a life of having a beautiful wife and amazing kids and an incredible community and a life that other people envy, I mean, I, I got great sneakers. You know what I mean? It's like, I, you know, it's like, I've got this, I have this amazing life, but I can tell you that I used to stand in those moments alone, overwhelmed with this sense of aloneness. Just a few weeks ago, I was walking and I had this thought, That the universe is so big. And I'm reminded how small I am. I had this incredible sense of smallness and disconnection. And then I said, you can't end the sentence there. And I I started like saying, because it just kept coming over and over again. You're just so small in this big universe. And then I just sort of responded to that voice saying, yeah, but the universe inside of me is so big. And uh, and one of the things I've learned how to do now is that sometimes now I'll just like, I'll just call Kim. I didn't do this for like 20 years, but now I'll call Kim and I'll say, I just feel so alone. I just, I, I, I know it's not rational. I know it's not true, but I just feel so alone in the world. And as my kids have grown up and they've become my great friends, you know, there's just moments, you know, I just have to just go, I just need to call someone. And tell them, I, I, I feel disconnected from everything. And, and so for those of you who understand that, I, I just want you to know that you're not alone when you feel alone. And I've told people for years, people would ask me, like, why, why did you stay, like, at Mosaic? Why did you decide to, like, to be a pastor? And why did you decide to do this? And I, I go, I, I know there were, like, some noble reasons, but one of them was I just didn't want to be alone in the world. And I've said it a hundred times, and I'll say it a thousand more. Mosaic has saved my life. Because this community is like a promise from God that you don't have to be alone. And I want you to know that. And I was struck by this quote from Robin Williams. He said, "Um, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone. Do you understand how important the church is? How important it is to have true community? Because just because we enter into the same room, it doesn't mean we don't feel alone. Because if we're not careful, people can make people feel even lonelier than they were before they were around people. And that's why it's so important to create a space where, you know, let, let's let God be the judge. You know, they create a space where people don't hit condemnation when they walk in the door, but just find love and acceptance. And, and you know I, I know, I know we have issues and stuff we've got to work through, right? And God's a holy God. There's things he wants to change in us. I say, I know all that's true. But I, but I just never want to forget that it's just wrong for anyone in the world to be utterly alone. And, And if you choose to be alone, that's on you. But I want us to be that proof that you don't have to be alone. That choice that says, I'll struggle through it. I'll struggle through it, but I want to be part of something bigger than me. I want to be part of a community and so here are the quick steps from this passage that I would just want to lay out to you that you can share with your friends. If you have friends that are just struggling with meaning, friends that are struggling with depression, friends that are struggling even with suicidal thoughts, friends that are struggling with this sense of disconnection, I, I, these are straight from the passage. First of all, I'm just going to talk to you like you're the person. Get some rest. I, I love the fact that God just like lets them sleep. I don't know if I would, i I'd go, get up! Just get your little lazy butt up and get back to work. When you think that's what you do, like, stop moping around and whining, just get some rest. Because if you don't get some rest when you're depressed, you're gonna be more depressed. If you don't get some rest when you're down, you're gonna get more down. You ever notice that when you're really down, you can't sleep and then you don't sleep. And then you, then you feel more depressed and more down. Just get some sleep. So the first thing you need to do is get some rest. Second thing is get some food. See, I, 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 that's, that's like, that's all God. I'm just telling you, it's like, I, I love the fact that God wakes him up and says, okay, here's some food. Eat. I, isn't that beautiful? I mean, God. I love that God doesn't go, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, Elijah, it says this. Because I want you to know that all you need is the word. Because that's what a lot of Christians do, right? All right, it's like, you know, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God, that to, I'm going to preach at you until you get up and get over your condition. I just love the fact that God's like, eat, man, get some food into your body, because this journey is too hard for you. So when you have friends, the first thing you do is like get, help them get some rest. And second thing is put some food into them. Let's go get something to eat. One of the things you can do for someone they like, say, let's, let's go get some food together. And, man, try to make a commitment to not eat alone. You, even if you're introverted, all right? You, you'll have introverted time. It's like sleep. See, <laughs> <So>, you know? <laughs> but try to make a commitment to never eat alone. I loved it when, when Mariah was really, really little. We'd go into restaurants, and she'd see someone eating alone. She goes, can we buy their meal? She goes, I just feel they're so alone. And, and I do, and so we would buy them, but we wouldn't tell them. But we'd sit there until the waitress came and we tried to pay the bill. And she'd say, somebody paid it for you. And the person would just light up. And you just see Mariah light up. Just bring a moment of happiness into someone who's alone. So this week, don't eat alone. And don't let anyone eat alone. Take time to. Just share meals with people, all right? You go, And you feel like you're a bag person? Like, I'm about to bring my lunch. Bring two bags and just find someone to go, you don't have any food today, do you? Let's eat. The third thing is get some perspective. I love how God sends Elijah to the mouth of the cave and he just starts giving Elijah perspective about what's really going on in life. You need to get some perspective and the way you get perspective is letting other people give you their wisdom because you need to realize when you're down you cannot see life clearly and so open your soul and let other people tell you how good your life is even if you don't want to hear it and let them be your seeing eye humans guiding you to hope when you can't find hope But then I also love that you need to get to people. God says, you need to go back and anoint this person and anoint this person and call out this person, lay hands on this person. God's like, I need to get you to people, Elijah, because part of your problem is that you're doing this all alone. And if you're living life alone, you need to get to people. You're here tonight, but you know what you need to do with some of your friends? You need to get them to people. I know this is hard to believe, but a huge part of the way Jesus heals us is by human contact. And when he gets you around people who are optimistic and hopeful, people who are enjoying life and are joyful, you actually begin to be optimistic and hopeful. I mean, sociologists have already, like, seen this, and the Scripture's have been saying this forever. So if you're lacking hope, get around hopeful people. You know those people that irritate you that are always happy? Get around them, because they're more enjoyable than you. You know? It's, that's why you don't like them. And, You know, those people are like, oh, they're just like eternal optimists. They can't see the world the way it really is. Kind of like just shut up and listen to them because you need to get their perspective into your soul. And then you can speak and say how bad the world is. And they'll show you all the reasons why you're wrong because they see all the good in you. See, the reason we can't see good in the world is because we stop seeing the good in us. And when you start seeing the good in yourself, what God can do in you, the potential in your life, you're gonna start seeing that potential all around you and other people. And and then you need to get back on track. God says, Elijah, I need you to get back to work. I need you to do what you're called to do, what I've created you to do. And the best way to fill the void in your soul is to begin to live a life of meaning. Success isn't gonna fill that void. Fame is not going to fill that void. Wealth is not going to fill that void. Nothing is going to fill that void except you living a meaningful life. And then just one last thing, I just want to just highlight again is like, and be careful who you listen to. Because when Elijah was listening to God, he was in a zone. But the moment he started listening to Jezebel, he was in a rut. And you need to start paying attention to who is informing you, what voices are shaping you and who's telling you who you are and what your life is about. See, I, I know this about us as human beings. We allow voices into our souls and they stay with us throughout our lives. And there are voices inside of us, whether it's your parents or your your, your stepdad or your brother and sister or your teachers or some kid that... that, that demeans you and those voices get into your soul and and a part of what jesus does when we draw close to him is that he becomes the voice that tells us who we are that defines us and guides us and heals us and brings life to us and you need to stop listening to the jezebels anybody here named jezebel i don't think so unless your mom just like hated you Uh, all right There's a reason why no one is named Jezebel. But some of you, you have Jezebels inside of your soul. You have voices that have filled you with fear and are causing you to run and to live a life of despair. And I think that's when God stops you and says, How did you get here? So if you're listening to the sound of my voice, and you don't think you matter, and you don't think there's a better future, and you don't believe that tomorrow can be better than today, and you don't think that if you were not here that people wouldn't weep and mourn and miss you? If you don't think you're needed here, how did you get there? What voices did you allow to lie to you to tell you that this is what life is? And tonight, we want to speak life into you. We want to tell you that you matter. Tell you that your life is filled with a future and a hope. That you are loved. That you have value. That the God who created you knows you. And he treasures every moment of your life. So don't be surprised when there are bad moments. Just go, oh yeah, this is a part of being human. But don't let those moments convince you that that is your future. And by the way, if the plane don't land, there's no fun in the takeoff. And it will never know what it's like to fly. So just, you know, when you have those down moments, just take a moment and go, God, thank you for this baseline moment. Because I want to remember this. When I break free from the gravitational pull of its effect on my soul and I begin to soar again because I want to remember I want to remember what it felt like God when I thought I could never walk again and now I'm flying because that's the beauty of your life in God you're just touching down you're not staying down because you are created to fly let's pray together God, I just thank you that there is not a moment in life that does not have hope within it. There's no moment in our lives that doesn't have a doorway into a more beautiful future. And Jesus, when you said you're the door, and those who come in and out will enter into beautiful fields, God, that just means so much to me tonight. Because those moments where we feel we're trapped in the box, those moments where we feel we're just paralyzed and can't get out of the prisons of our own making, God, just help us to see that you are the door. You're the gate. You're always the way to freedom. You're always the way to hope. You're always the way to love. You are always the way to life. And so we choose to follow you. For in you, the future is always better than the past. We will always become better than we are. And what we think tomorrow holds pales in comparison to what you have prepared for us. And so tonight, Lord God, we put our trust in you that you see what we cannot see. So we'll just look at you, follow you, and trust you to show us the way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I know this wasn't the most scintillating and uplifting and inspiring talks, but sometimes I think it's just important to talk about the health of your soul in a way that just gives you some practical steps And I want you to be able to talk to people and go, hey, there's a way through this. It's not easy. We want to own that your pain is real, that your sorrow is real, that your despair is real. But we're just going to hang with you in that darkness and step by step pull you to the light. But we want to be there with you in the dark places because we're bringing the light with us when we come. We're going to take a few moments. Yeah, let's just applaud and thank God for that. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Mosaic Podcast. As God has spoken into your life, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that when we've been invested in, we need to also become investors. And I wanna encourage you right now, if Mosaic is one of the platforms from which you grow spiritually, you connect more deeply to God and your faith with Jesus becomes more real, I wanna encourage you right now to go to mosaic.org and become one of our givers. Give a one-time gift, become a recurring giver, become a part of what God's doing across the world. Mosaic isn't just a church in Los Angeles, Mosaic, is all of us working together.